The Last Word with Matt Cooper. All right, it is time for the Culture Club on The Last Word and I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Joan Sheehy. How are you keeping, Joan? Very well. You'll know Joan from her brilliant performance playing Una in the Oscar nominated on Colleen Coon and, well, I think also from any amount of Irish TV shows and theatre productions through the years. Thanks a lot for coming in. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. The reason you're here today is, well, today's a very busy day for you because you're currently directing a production of Mary Lavin's In the Middle of the Fields and you're going to be rushing right from here to get going. Yes, uh, it's it's an unusual production. Um because we do it in the middle of a field. But just to warn people, there is covering. Um, We do it um, under one of those kind of large pagoda style tents and there's a stage in the middle and the audience sit at either side. So everybody's covered. But when, because the story is so much about uh, this woman living in in the middle of the fields and what happens to her. um, So when they look out, they're looking at grass, they're looking at fields and in Richmond Barracks, in the Garden of Richmond Barracks, where we're doing it, there's a beautiful field, but then it's covered. There's lavender all around it and beautiful planting. And at either side of the tent, there's banks of lavender. So it's um, I think the play is is a great experience. But I also think for many people, it'll be their first time coming through Richmond Barracks. So Richmond Uh, Barracks is in Dublin. It's it's in Inchicore. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And it was, um, I mean, there were prisoners held there in 1916. And then in 2016, it was refurbished. And for, for many years before that, it was a national school. But now it's like a community cultural hub. And there are beautiful workshop spaces. There's a, a big gymnasium area for dance classes and fairs. And then at the back, there's this beautiful garden and and they have a tent there. So we didn't even have to bring in a tent. People will know you as an actor, but you're not actually going to be on stage for this. No, no. no. In fact, I was hoovering the stage just before I right, came round. All to hands you. on deck. Oh, that's exactly it. Um, no, uh, over the past few years, like I've directed a number of shows and I kind of, I like, I like coming up with an idea of how how you can present a story in an unusual way. And I love the fact that when an audience is at the theatre or at, at a play, that they're having kind of the experience of the story as well as watching it. So that's why when I was looking at, I've always loved In the Middle of the Fields. It's an amazing story. And like there are three central characters in it. So it's kind of very manageable for stage. And... I thought, how how could you present this? And I started thinking about, like, could you do it in a hay barn or could you do it, you know, in a ball alley or something? And then then I started to kind of refine my thoughts and I started to see these tents around the place and thought, that's how you can do it. So that we we are in the middle of a field, but yet the audience are protected and and you can create atmosphere with lighting and all of that. And people i think everything about it people respond to that that it's that it's unusual and they say oh this is where we're going to be and and then it starts and the woman is walking through the field into the tent and i kind of love the free song that that gives um that that you're you're enjoying the story in so many ways. Like, You're fully immersed in it. That's that's the that's the that's exactly the word, Nathan. Because yeah. uh, you've already done a run of this down in in West Cork. Uh, on one hand, I'd say you didn't get the weather, but probably actually 
lashing down rain. Oh, Temperature is not what you'd expect in July. Probably adds to the old experience. I, I'm nearly ashamed to say it, but we had lovely weather when you were <laughs> suffering here in Dublin. We had such good weather in Ballydehob. It used to rain at night, like when you'd be asleep, and you'd wake in the morning and you'd see everywhere soaking. And then it would lift during the day. And every evening um, at showtime, the weather was lovely and the light was amazing. We were in a big, big field in Ballydehob uh, near the hall. And there was a point when Mark O'Regan, one of the actors, would leave the tent. And at the same time every night, this shaft of evening sunlight would catch him. And like you couldn't you couldn't design it Mm. as a lighting designer. And just the the way the colours change at night. Um, I mean, the show is relatively short. It's it's less than an hour. But even in the space of an hour, the way the light shifts and changes. So we were, as they as they kept saying in Belly to Hob, you were haunted with the weather. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we actually have been haunted with the weather in Dublin. I just need to get out of Dublin more often and get down to West Cork where the sun always shines. I want to get onto your picks, but I also want to ask you about on Colleen Coon and... Like it's all, it's over a year, I think, since it was officially released. But the momentum of the last few months and the awards that have been won and the Oscar nomination, what's it been like been in the middle of all that? It has been an incredible experience because from the, from the time they went to Berlin with it, before it was released here, it, it, it won awards in Berlin. So kind of every few weeks... There was something, there was some new joy happening. We'd hear about another award or we'd hear, you know, that it had, you know, broken box office records here, here all the time. Then then it won big at the IFTAs. And then, I mean, one of the best days of my life was the day we went to the Stella to watch the live, the announcement of the Oscar nominations. And we were all sitting around and like in great form in the beginning and then and delighted with all the other nom- Irish nominations. And then it came to best best uh, uh, foreign language film and they announced, I didn't realise it went in alphabetical order. So they announced the first four and you think, oh no, there's only one left. Like, and will that be us? And when we when we won it, or when we were nominated, um, I mean, it was like an All-Ireland final. We like went wild with the excitement of oh, it brilliant. all. And then I got to go to LA. Oh, how was that experience? Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous and <laughs> and weird and strange. Uh, it's it's extraordinary to be in a in a city that's built. It's built on movies and TV and all of that. Um, we had some brilliant times, really wonderful times, and there were so many Irish there. So many of us went over because, like an Irish language film nomination, uh, an Oscar nomination, a film that had been lauded so much already. You kind of think whatever good things happen again for Irish cinema, but in this way, it'll never Mm. happen again. So, I mean, so so many of us wanted to be there and we just had a wonderful week and met fantastic people, you know, went to beautiful places. uh, The Oscar ceremony was kind of extraordinary and bizarre. And very long. Um, and you're so tired, like in the, by the last half an hour. But it. I, I can hardly describe the excitement of it all and that kind of high energy you have, like for a week that keeps you going through everything. We had a wonderful time. And like the the makers of the film, Column and Cleona, the producer, like they're 
They're wonderful. They're they're a great couple. They're a great, uh, but they're they have a great sensitivity to the material they're working mm. on and. I- Great, great, great people around us all the time. I think it really came across to people watching from home how much you enjoyed the celebrations as well and being there and embraced it and didn't turn your nose up on it in oh, any God, way no. or anything like that. There was, you know, you know, it's about the art. It's actually, no, we're going to LA and we're going to have a bloody good time. <laughs> I mean, that, yes, <laughs> that was it. And like what was amazing too, like there was no begrudgery around it. Yeah. You know, I think people, people felt genuinely happy for for the makers of the film and all of us involved and the success it was having. Yeah, it was a fantastic experience. Let's get into your picks then on the Culture Club. And we always start by asking for the first single that you ever bought. I remember it very well. I was I, w- I was a kid at the time, but um, I remember hearing uh, Telegram Sam the radio was on that was that was my the way I would hear music the radio would be on all day long I was born on a farm in County Limerick and uh, I was hearing this song and like the words are simple and you have all the different names and all so but I just loved the kind of funky sound of it and it made me think like there's a there's a world out there now there's a world outside <laughs> the farm in Limerick not that there's anything wrong with the farm in Limerick but that God, there's a world in London, there's a world in England. Then I saw pictures of Mark Bowl and I went, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> like that, that, that someone can look like that. And, you know, that beautiful twist he has in his voice. Will we so, hear it? Let's listen oh, to Telegram, yes. Sam, and then we can uh, we can chat a bit more about it. T-Rex. Everything about it just dripping with swagger. <laughs> That's a great description. I mean, I think now I was uh, I watched I watched a video of him singing that when I knew I was coming in here. And you look and you think, God, I'm sure he influenced Bowie. Mm. I, even you look at Prince and you think uh, all the influence he had. But like, what a sound. And you knew that it was a sound from a new kind of funky generation and even even as a young one I wanted to be part of that somehow. Such a tragedy died at the age of just 29. I know, I know. Were you the original glam rocker down in Limerick after that? <laughs> I'd love to pretend I was. But <laughs> You're going to a little bit closer to home for your favourite album. Um, yes, my favourite album is The Cranberries. Um, I mean, like Dolores O'Riordan and the Cranberries. When we were listening to them and thinking, "Oh, they're great, they're they're wonderful," but we never imagined like that that they could go global. Mm. And it it's I'm sure it didn't happen quickly for them, but it seemed we were just getting used to them. And the next thing, they became huge in the states. And 
like when Dolores started singing first, like she was so shy. She would practically have her back to the audience. And um, in 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 the years, over the, over the years, like listening to, seeing the way she blossomed as an artist, listening to that voice, like there's a clarity in her voice, the, the Limerick accent coming out. But there's, um, she has an edge. And I mean, Dreams has become an anthem in Limerick. It's played, you know, after Limerick hurling victories. It has truly become our anthem. And I've heard, I've heard some beautiful versions of Dreams and uh, wonderful singers singing it. But it's that edge that you get with Dolores and that way, again, the way her voice rolls. But we're so, I, I think, I think Limerick people have have never lost their pride in the Cranberries because like Limerick was never trendy, you know, in the way Galway was trendy uh, or Dublin was trendy. Like we were never trendy. And then we had this world class band with this world class female singer. So, I mean, there's another tragedy. And the, the day, the evening we heard that she had died, I had been doing doing a show with a group of Limerick women. We were doing it in the Peacock and we went for a drink after rehearsals and one of them opened their phone and said that they saw that Dolores had died. And it was that disbelief you get, like this is some terrible rumour. This can't be true. Like an energy like hers can't be, can't be gone. And you think of all the other wonderful, wonderful songs she would have made, all the wonderful... Um, ideas she would have had. But, uh, Let's hear uh, Dreams. The album is Everybody Else oh. is Doing It So Why Can't We by the Cranberries. Uh, I suspect, and uh, sorry everybody listening from Kilkenny, I suspect this may not be the last time we hear this this week. ever at a hurling final in a neutral capacity but there is something magic about that just cranking up as oh. Limerick win and I think particularly post-Covid when we saw Crow Park empty yes. and no celebrations and actually the joy of Limerick people who you know struggled for so long uh, when it came to hurling and went oh, so long without exactly the way I, it just fills the stadium and I remember in 2018 when when we finally um, were victorious and it, it was so emotional anyway because the last few minutes were fairly hairy as we'd <laughs> say down in Limerick and um, 
And then we were just shouting and roaring and taking our breath. And that came on. And I was thinking, oh, don't be crying. Of course, I started crying. Then I look around and men are crying. Women are crying. Older people are crying. I think the children were about the only ones that weren't (laughs) crying. (laughs) The other great thing with that album is the voice that... Of its time, Irish music almost sounded a way an 80s style, whereas this was so modern, so unsurprisingly able to break through in America. But actually, the second you hear it, you know it's Dolores' voice. You know it's that Limerick voice. She just never lost that. She never lost that. And I think... That's one of the one of the great things. She's not pretending. She's not aping anything else. Like it's it's there's a purity to it, but also it's kind of a there's a toughness to it. I mean, there's a toughness to the Limerick accent, mm. and there's a toughness um, that comes across in her voice. Or like I was saying earlier, that edge that's in the voice, uh, and and it's unique. And no matter, I mean, the, you, nowadays sometimes you hear people you say, "Oh, she sounds a bit like Dolores," but. That blast of a voice when we heard it first and then we saw the beautiful face, the little elfin face. And it's, yeah, it's it's such a, a tragedy. But and we're so lucky like to have so much of her music mm. and particularly to have dreams. We're going to take a quick break. There's loads more we want to get from you on the Culture Club. I'm joined in studio and delighted to be joined in studio by Joan Sheehy. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Last Word on this Wednesday. It is The Culture Club. I'm joined in studio by Joan Sheehy. We've just been listening to her favourite album, which is Everybody Else Is Doing It So Why Can't We by The Cranberries and the first single, which was Telegram Sam by T-Rex. Your favourite band or artist? Uh, My favourite artist is um, Brian Ferry. Uh, I've, I've, I mean, I listen to him, listen to Roxy Music, listen to Brian Ferry over the years. And I've seen him on a number of occasions. I've seen him in Vicar Street. I've seen him in the National Concert Hall. I've seen him with Roxy. I've seen him. I've seen him with uh, with an orchestra. I mean, he he is one of the sexiest men alive. <laughs> I was going to say there's a certain style from Mark Boland through to Brian Ferry. They've got it going on. <laughs> they have it going on. Uh, and, you know, that long, tall, kind of slithery look of him when he comes on stage. But you know what I really, what fascinated me about about him, uh, seeing him live, he doesn't do much talking, which I love. He just, he, he sings. You like to know what's going on. Yeah, he sings and he, and he really loves the, 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 the musicians around him. And I find that, I, f- I loved that. So you just get music. For the night. And so you're not a fan of the between song chat oh, and the hate, story behind it. Oh. I hate all of that old thing. Yeah, I, I just you love just want to hear the music. Yeah, I mean, a little bit is a bit. A little bit is nice occasionally. And is that uniquely for Brian Ferry? We can also just look at him, so it actually doesn't matter what he's saying. Yeah, you could be right there. I hadn't <laughs> thought about it like that, Nathan. But I think perhaps if he started talking and maybe. You know, if there was anything a bit off in what he said, then, you know, you'd have to turn against him and you couldn't do that. Like, but he um, he he is the epitome of cool. And I know the last time I saw him, I was thinking, mm, I wonder, you know, the first few songs, you know, a bit, the voice was a bit ropey. And I thought, oh, is this is this the end like of that wonderful voice? And after two or three songs, he cranked it up and gave the most fantastic concert. But he... It is that that um, that relationship that he has with 
with his musicians, with the instruments. And then again, just the, the clarity of voice. And I guess he knows like that he that he has, he know he must know he has presence. <laughs> I suspect I if you're in the crowd, he definitely knows. <laughs> Let's hear uh, Jealous Guy, Roxy Music, of course, Brian Ferry and vocals. I was dreaming of the past And my heart being I began to lose control I began to lose control I didn't mean to hurt you I'm sorry that I made you cry I didn't mean to hurt you I was feeling insecure You might not love me anymore I was shivering inside I'm not going to say it's better than John Lennon, but he made it his own. He made it his own. Uh, and at the end, you know, when he does that whistling bit, that is just, uh, that is spine tingling. And one night I saw him in concert and he didn't whistle, but he took out a moth organ <laughs> and played the moth organ at the end. Uh, you wouldn't be right after that. <laughs> I get the feeling you're not right after a lot of these Brian Ferry concerts. It's interesting though, because going back to your own production at the moment in the middle of the fields and that experiential nature that you have, you're at Crow Park, you're at gigs, it sounds like you love being a part of an audience, being part of that collective. I do. I, I really love that. And and I I love that in theatre. And that's why I think when I make theatre myself, that I want I want the I want the audience, I want the crowd to be to be part of it. Because, you know, in the past I've seen shows myself that that give you that feeling that you feel, oh, we're in the place where this this event is happening or we're in a similar place to where this event is happening. And it's just that all the senses are going at once. And uh, I, I do, there's something about that collective, which we missed so much uh, during COVID, like that collective of people that, that, that you experience things in a different way. I, I mean, you can watch a match at home, you can look at a concert and that's, that's a great experience. But when you're with a crowd, it's, 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 a, you know, you're filtering it in so many different ways. It brings us on nicely to the best gig you're ever at, where there, a man where there's certainly a lot going on in a lot of different ways. Oh, uh, yeah, I was. And this is very recent. Uh, I saw Cormac Begley in Vicker Street. I mean, I'm a huge admirer of his anyway. Uh, he like he 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 has he has he has a, a selection of concertinas on stage and now he does a little bit of talking, but it's lovely Kerry talk, like, you know, so you could listen to that. And he'd be describing the different concertinas and what they can do and all. But when he plays the concertina, he, he whacks it. 
I mean, the sweat is pumping off him. The shoulders are moving. The arms are moving. I mean, it's again, you're there's nothing polite about this. I don't know that it's possible really to play those box instruments anyway without expending a huge amount of energy. But that night when he played different styles of concertina, would tell bits of stories about the concertinas. Then he had um, he had a Kerry half set. He had brought people from Kerry to do a half set. He played and they danced the half set and he brought them on again uh, later on. He had one of the singers from Ye Vagabonds. But he... He's he's very beguiling in that Kerry way and the sounds that he can get out of the box. (laughs) And sometimes, like that night I was looking around thinking there must be other instruments on the stage. But he, like... No little band hidden backstage or anything like that. (laughs) It's like, it's like there's a band inside the box and he's going to bait it out of it. Yeah, but it's, it's actually the physicality when he's, when he's playing is, um... It's mesmerising and the sweat pumping off him. (laughs) We don't have anything from that particular night in Vicar Street, but from a YouTube video uploaded by the Irish Traditional Music Archive. Here is Cormac Bailey playing at Willie Clancy Summer School back in 2017. Yeah, that is Cormac Begley, Willie Clancy, Summer School in 2017. What's your favourite movie? Oh, my favourite movie, without a doubt, is Some Like It Hot. Why? Because Why not? It's, it's perfect. <laughs> uh, in fact, I watched it again uh, last night. Um, I mean, it's hysterically funny. It's a great, like, there's, there's a, it's madcap. You've got three actors at the height of their power, Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon. And the situations they're in, like the, the two guys, um, they're musicians and they're running. They've, they've seen a mafia killing. So they're 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 running from from the mob and uh, they take a job in a girl's um, band and they dress up as women. And so so many, so many, so many films, so many plays are all based on the idea of mistaken identities and men dressed as women and women dressed as men. But like they take it further and further. So um, uh, the Tony Curtis's character falls in love with the Marilyn Monroe character, but he dresses up as a yacht magnet because she's looking for a millionaire and um, he lures her to this guy's yacht. Meanwhile, the guy who owns the yacht has fallen in love with Jack Lemmon's female character and they're dancing in a club and but it keeps it up, you know. It doesn't. It doesn't break that down. That these are that the this disguise isn't true until almost the very end, and then it has the best last scene. Well, we can play. Do you a, have it? That famous final scene right now. I call Mama. She was so happy she cried. She wants you to have our wedding gown. It's white lace. Yeah, that's good. I can't get married in your mother's dress. Yes. <laughs> 
she and I, we are not built the same way. We can have it altered. Yeah, I know you don't. Osgood, I'm going to level with you. We can't get married at all. Why not? Well, in the first place, I'm not a natural blonde. Doesn't matter. I smoke. I smoke all the time. I don't care. Well, I have a terrible past. For three years now, I've been living with a saxophone player. I forgive you. I can never have children. We can adopt some. But you don't understand, Osgood. Oh, I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Joan Sheehy is in studio on the Culture Club. I'd imagine our uh, next segment was a difficult one to choose, considering your background, your favourite play or theatre show or musical. What did you go for? Eventually I went for, well, it's it's a dance piece, but it's a dance drama piece. It's a Chuck Dosa, it's Michael Keegan Dolan, um, the Irish dancer and choreographer and visionary. And it was his version of Swan Lake. But it was a Swan Lake like set in Longford. And there's like silage rap is one of the main things I remember from it. It was so dramatic. The music was extraordinary. The dancing was sublime. And within it, there were there were some very, very funny things. But there was also the theme of a of, you know, an isolated man, a man maybe who, you know, was was suffering a bit and you know, what happened to him, you know, based on stories that we would have known. It was such a moving experience, such a thrilling experience. You didn't have to be a fan of modern dance. You didn't have to be... It, 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 in ways, and it kind of goes back to what I'm saying about experiential, you know, experiences in theatre or in sport or whatever... I don't know what was getting to you. Was it was it the dance? Was it the music? Was it the look of it? Um, was it the people flapping around with the silage wrap? What the whole it was the whole combination that you had this you had this sense of an Ireland we know, a modern Ireland, and yet linked to a mythical past. None of it was um, you know, trying to be lofty. It was there was a, a real truth in it. So I, I, so I went to see it a couple of times and I thought it said a, it said an awful lot about about rural Ireland, kind of about the energy of it, but also about the isolation of it. Your favourite book or author, very relevant to where you're heading right after this. Uh, yeah, Mary Lavin, it has to be. I, like, I read Mary Lavin when I was a teenager and I, I still remember little scraps of that story. You know, because in a few in a few lines she can describe a moment, an experience. And I mean in the middle of the fields is one of her greatest stories. And it's she she wrote In the Middle of the Fields in nineteen sixty and it was published in sixty one. Like it's a story that constantly surprises. She's so clever, but she's it never goes down the road you expect. You think it's going to be about one thing. Think you think oh the woman is a widow and she's it's she's grieving. That's what it's going to be about. Then you discover she wants she needs her grass cut on the farm and that's she's not thinking about her husband at that moment. She wants to do the grass cut. Then there's all the negotiations about getting the grass cut, and then something happens, 
And again, like in the society we live in now where, you know, reactions are very black and white, whereas Mary Lavin takes it off in another direction again. It's, um, I mean, for a, for a woman writing in the 50s and 60s, she's so modern, so unsentimental um, and quite savage at times. Great, right? All her stories are wonderful. You've sold it very well. Uh, let's just play a clip from the New Yorker fiction podcast. This is Colm Tobin reading from In the Middle of the Fields. She was islanded by fields, the heavy grass washing about the house and the cattle wading in it as in water. Even their gentle stirrings were a loss when they moved away at evening to the shelter of the woods. A rainy day might strike a wet flash from a hay barn on the far side of the river. Not even a habitation. And yet she was less lonely for him here in me than elsewhere. Anxieties by day and cares, and at night vague, nameless fears. These were the stones across the mouth of the tomb. But who understood that? They thought she hugged tight every memory she had of him. What did they know about memory? What was it but another name for dry love and barren longing? They even tried to unload upon her their own small purposeless memories. I imagine I see him every time I look out there, they would say, as they glanced nervously over the darkening fields when they were leaving. I think I ought to see him coming through the trees. Oh, for God's sake, she think. I'd forgotten him for a minute. That is from the In the Middle of the Fields. Just before we get your buried treasure, if people are listening in and, well, probably won't make it for tonight's show, but if they want to go and see it over the next few weeks, where can they get tickets and where can they go see it? They can get tickets on Eventbrite in the middle of the fields. Um, we're in Richmond Barracks uh, from tonight until Saturday the 29th of July. And then we go to Bechtif, which is Mary Lavin's home place. And we do it um in Bechtif Mills on the banks wow. of the Boyne for five nights in from the 1st to the 5th of August. Oh, that'll be magic, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, we want to finish up with your buried treasure. So song, painting, uh, poem, something you think that people listening in should know more about. There's a writer called Bernard O'Donoghue. He's from North Cork. I only discovered his poems last year when um, the director, Jeff Gould, wanted to do like a performance piece around his poetry. And he 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 works as a, a professor in Oxford, but he writes about rural Ireland and he writes about a rural Ireland, about matches, about funerals, about farm animals, about farm workers. Uh, he's funny, very, very, very moving at times. Um, and I think he captures an Ireland that most of us still recognise, but that is is leaving us. You're going to treat us and you're going to read your favourite poem? Yeah, it's it's a very short poem. He writes a lot about, about the dead, but this is my favourite. The Company of the Dead It's natural that they would feel the cold much more than we do, but that's partly what makes them such good company. They draw close, rubbing their hands and praise the fire. That's a fine fire you've done. Also, They've no unrealised agendas. They're eager questions, no barbed implications. They're no trouble round the place. Their only wish now to get warmer, apart, that is, from wishing that they'd kept warmer while they had the chance. Brilliant. 
a real treat on a Wednesday evening and the last half an hour has been a real treat for me Joan uh, really enjoyed that thank you so much for coming in and being part of the Culture Club The Last Word with Matt Cooper weekdays from 4.30 Today